My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 103, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Samuel 15 through 17 and Psalm 61. 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Teliam. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Canaanites, Go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agog, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agog and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul had gone to Carmel. There he had set up a monument in his own honor and had turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord blessed you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agog, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. 
Because you have rejected the words of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agog, king of the Amalekites. Agog came to him in chains, and he thought, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agog to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. 
One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Sokah and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Allah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greases and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearers went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem and Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this afaf of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Allah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things from the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul distressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands." As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. This stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shariam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, 
Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfill my vows day after day. So the story starts with Saul being let go from his position as king. So not only will his progeny not inherit the throne, he is being let go early or before death. At first, it seems to read like Saul is asking forgiveness. And at first glance, it may seem like Samuel and or God is rejecting Saul's cry for mercy. But then as we're reading it, especially when we get to chapter 15 verse 30, and the truth is really quite poignantly revealed when Saul says, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. From this, I read that his apology continues to be about the preservation of his image amongst his people and not truly a remorseful heart that submits to the will of God and wants to be a representative of God. So it's like God is a part of his world and he's not a part of God's. So the orientation is all out of order. We also read that the Israelites have been sitting there for 40 days in front of the Philistines and an opponent they cannot seem to win against. And we know 40 is a reoccurring number that has to do with testing. Remember all those years in the wilderness? (laughs) Then David shows up, this unassuming shepherd boy, the youngest of the lot. And remember, being a shepherd is a theme in the Bible, and it points to Jesus. But also note, it's this culture, and in the past parts of the story, women were also frequently the shepherds. Remember Rachel and Leah and Moses' wife and family? I think it's so interesting how Moses was a shepherd— just as David was when God called them. It's interesting to compare Moses's response to David's willingness to step in for God's reputation. So I don't know if you remember back when God was calling Moses and he was like, but I don't speak well. And he was giving these different reasons why he can't go and God was making um, accommodations. And then you've got You've got David, who seems to be considerably younger, and he is willing, but maybe not necessarily as experienced or equipped, which is just so striking and cool. And Marty Solomon describes how everyone seemed to be consumed by logic, stating and saying, we can't and you can't go out there. You're going to lose to that monster Goliath. But David's concern was the Hebrew term Kadush Hashem, whether or not God's name will be holy, being his representative, you know, because he's been appointed, he's concerned with with God and his role as a representative leader, a brand ambassador of, of God's name and who he works for. 
I noticed it wasn't that David had plans or confidence. For sure, I think maybe he did, but it it wasn't like he was like, my plan is to go out there and win. But he knew he must do something as God's representative in the world against an adversary and in protection of God's people. I love to reflect on how David points to God being the architect of victory and that that is his defense against Goliath. It wasn't the slingshot or his weapon, his strength or his weaponry skills. Yes, he mentions that he, you know, he has killed, you know, a lion and a bear in protection of his sheep. But I also note in the story when he's telling it that he said, as God delivered me from those adversaries, he will deliver me from this one. For me, the point seems to be what, what David's confidence is in is in God. It's not in his skills and experience or his knowledge of the opponent. His faith and his confidence is squarely set in the architect of victory and his knowledge of being called by God and his willingness to go. I think it's just, oh, it's so cool to reflect on. And Marty Solomon points back to Genesis 3.15 and how this story of David crushing Goliath's head is pointing back to the promise of Genesis 3.15 and forward to what Jesus will do on the cross, the one who is Jesus. And as a side note, the one will come from the house of David, will crush the head of the adversary and the adversary will bruise his heel. So we're seeing this here, David crushing literally Uh, the head of Goliath. As an aside, if you're in or around the business scene, you've probably heard of books like The Tipping Point or Blank by Malcolm Gladwell. What you may not know is that he also wrote a book and did a TED Talk on the unheard story of David and Goliath, which brings up some interesting points, you know, because obviously much of, I don't know, the American stories love to tell this underdog kind of approach and, and architect to literature. But there's some unseen and other parts to it that I think are worth exploring a little bit and looking into if you're interested. I link it in the show notes and you can always Google it. But Malcolm Gladwell, The Unheard Story of David and Goliath. Pretty interesting what he has to say. But what I like to focus on here is that David is showing up with what he has. He isn't even the best at it. In fact, Marty Solomon said Saul from his line and tribe would have and should have been better at slingshots and fighting for a lot of important reasons. But Saul, as we've been reading, relies on his own strength, which isn't the whole. We need God. But it's like the saying, God equips the called. He doesn't necessarily call the equipped. He's interested in our willingness and whole heart wanting to be his representatives in the world, and he can train the rest. Marty Solomon says, Throwing your, throw your stone, show up in the circumstances you are in, to be put into God's use right where you are, to be put on, to be put in God's display and your spheres of influence. This is the right direction. It's willingness, not worthiness. It's wholehearted to God, not half-hearted or keeping God secondary to our heart's desires. David is going to come up a whole lot in the future. So here we go. So many lessons. But to give you a hint, it's not about the glory of David. It's about the glory of God and David's unusually intimate Shema or whole heart and soul to be present to God, to create a space for God to convict him, teach him, strengthen him. Stay close to him to remember. Uh, Not that he doesn't forget. David's a human that's willing to be a representative leader. And we will see God through many of his decisions in really cool ways. 
And we will also see that the man will fail and will fall. And he allows and responds to God in correction, in time. And there is steps of redemption. There are also consequences. And there's also restoration. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.